Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, church. I'd like to extend a special welcome this morning to any of you who are new here at Plainfield Christian Church. We are really glad to have you here. And to all of you, if you want to just take a moment real quick and fill out the connection card in your bulletins. Uh, Later on, we're going to pass an offering plate in the service. You can just drop that connection card right in there. And when we pass the offering plate, that offering time is just something that we do as a church family out of gratitude to God. We give back to him for what he's given to us, and we do it joyfully and voluntarily. So if you are a guest with us, if you're new here this morning, you are under absolutely no obligation to do that. Just by way of reminder, real quick, last week we kicked off our life group signups, and so if you've not had the opportunity to join a life group yet, it is not too late. You can check the box there on your connection card, or you can actually go to the Connection Center out in the hub after the service. We would love to get you plugged into a community, and it's not too late to do that. We have several new groups starting up. If you've not downloaded the MyPCC app, you guys totally should. I am borderline technologically illiterate. I live under a rock, but if I can do it, you guys can do it. It's a great way to even give just through your mobile device there or stay connected with the church. You know, all of us, when we walk in here this morning for this hour of worship, we've all gone through stuff this week. Some of you have had hard weeks. Some of you have had good weeks. And most of us have had a week that was somewhere in between. But whatever baggage you're bringing in here today, whatever stuff you've gone through, whatever wins or losses you're experiencing in your life, this is a time where we gather together as the family of God to lay those things down at the cross and to celebrate that no matter what wins or losses we're going through, we know that the ultimate win, the ultimate victory, has already been won for us, on behalf of us, through God for what he did um, for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a time where we just get to celebrate and proclaim those truths, knowing that no matter whatever comes our way, we can overcome because we have a good Father who loves us. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Will you guys pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are grateful for the opportunity to gather here together as your family. And God, there are people here who are going through things that I can't even imagine, Father, but you know each and every heart, you know each and every person and where they are, and we're grateful that you are with us, we're grateful for your promises, and we're grateful for the fact that there's nothing that we can't overcome through you because of the victory that you've achieved through your Son and your Spirit. We love you. We ask you to speak through Steve today and empower him through your Spirit and open our hearts to hear your word well. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. You're looking pretty good. Do you feel that way? What makes us go to the closets on Sunday morning and you look at something, oh, I don't feel like wearing that. Where does that come from? I don't feel like wearing blue today. I don't know why we think that way, but I'm wondering what it would be like if you went to your closet and you picked out something according to how your week was. Or how you're feeling spiritually, how would you would weigh your life? I mean, how many of you would have worn something black today? Because you're going through a, a, time, a season of depression, or maybe you're just, uh, you just feel negative about everything right now, or everything's negative happening to you, maybe you'd wear black. Maybe you'd wear something that's got holes in it, because you've been in a battle this week, you know, and you just feel like you've been uh, waging a war, and uh, you're not always winning, or maybe you maybe pull out something that's you got back in the closet stained because you've really blown it in the Lord this week. There's this stain, this blot on you that just keeps haunting you. It's, you knew better than to act that way or say that or do that or whatever it is. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd wear something threadbare because your marriage is barely holding on. 
or, or your, whole, your whole soul feels threadbare? What would happen if we came as the church and we, 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 we told the truth about ourselves and we were honest with one another? You know, this is the value of being together as the church if we're willing to be honest with each other. And sometimes this is the negative part of a large church. I mean, in a large church, it's easier to hide and not be very transparent about our lives. And this is one of the reasons, for instance, that we, we, we want to build up life groups because a smaller circle of people that you love with and journey with, you know, can be better for us. I think we all want to experience God in his fullness, don't we? I don't think we'd be here together if we didn't want to capture all that God is and, and want to know him better and love him more deeply. I've never met a believer who, uh, who, if they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good truly, does not want more of him. We want more of him all the time. And I think that's what our text is about today. We're in the eighth chapter of Romans, this great, brilliant chapter. And it closes this way, beginning in verse 31. What shall we say in response to these things? These things probably referring to everything Paul has written in this letter up till now. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who, can, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Uh, n- no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. He's quoting from Psalm 44 there. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's interesting in this chapter that 21 times at the beginning of the chapter into the middle of the chapter, we have the Holy Spirit of God mentioned 21 times. 21 times, and yet we get to the end of the chapter about being conquerors, 31 through 39. In these verses, no mention of the Holy Spirit. He seems to disappear from the page. And the only thing I would suggest is that maybe this is what the Holy Spirit is all about because this is our problem. Our problem is we know we ought to live as conquerors. We know what's been done for us. We know what's possible, and yet often this isn't our experience. We end our days often feeling defeated or our weeks feeling defeated. Sometimes it's all you can do to walk into the church building on Sunday morning, but you know you're here because you just should be, and that's that's the only thing getting you here. God wants us to be able to live fully these nine verses, and increasingly so in the course of our lives. And I think the Holy Spirit of God has everything to do with getting us to these nine verses. There's a lot that the Holy Spirit does, but certainly these three things he does. He quickens us. That is, he makes us aware of our need for God. He convicts us of sin. He works in mysterious ways and providentially uh, in our lives to awaken us to our need for God. Your story is far different from anybody else's, but he, sometime in your life, you're here today if the, because somehow the Holy Spirit has quickened you, whether you're on your journey to Christ or you're in Christ. Nolan is one of our, one of our college students who attends here regularly. He's always in the sanctuary service, fourth row from the back, on my left, on the end, always sits there. 
And Nolan is in Budapest right now studying, but I met him at Panera a couple of years ago, and his testimony is, you know, I was, I was just depressed. And my parents told me they were going to get me to a therapist, and he told them, I don't need a therapist. I need God in my life. And, and he, he just started worshiping with us. He was baptized into Christ, and he's been a growing believer ever since. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. He, he awakens us. He also assures us. Uh, Romans 8 tells us, that he is testifying with our human spirit that we are God's children. He drives it home, in other words, because we go through times where we wonder, am I, am I really, I mean, is every, am I okay with God? He gets us to question because we know our journey, what our journey looks like, and we wonder. It's by the blood of Christ, and the, the Holy Spirit continues to testify to our spirits that indeed that's the truth because of Christ. He also sanctifies us. We learn from the New Testament that he is our, our counselor, the one who walks alongside of us, the paraclete. That's what the word is. He comes alongside to work within us to make us like Jesus so that we bear fruit of him in our lives. It's seen by how we live, our conduct, our thought. We have a new heart. We have a new way of, of thinking and behaving. We have a new worldview. And that's all the Holy Spirit. So our text today is about allowing, aligning ourselves with the Holy Spirit of God and allowing him to work in a way within as we have these new hearts so that we can get to these nine verses to know what it is to live like true conquerors. In fact, as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Know these three things. God's opponents are ineffective. They're ineffective. Do you know how much God is for you and that he is not a celestial cop who looks forward to tripping you up? Now, maybe you say, well, he would never trip me up, but, you know, he's ready, he's ready to whip me into shape. That is not the proper picture of God. Our God is more for us than we even understand. He goes to the nth degree to see that we are, are, are protected, that we're loved, that we, that we understand his truth, that it penetrates our lives. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? It's the first of seven questions. Now, the, the number seven we've learned before is the number of wholeness and completion in the, in the New Testament. Now, I don't know if Paul meant it. Meant seven questions by this, but maybe, maybe it's suggesting from all standpoints, from all viewpoints, from any way you can deal with any opposition, look at in its full completeness, whatever your opponents are. They are ineffective at the end of the day when you are in Christ Jesus. Some of you are here today, you are in real battles in your life right now. And the evil one would love to take you down. I'm telling you, if God is for us, the Bible says here in our text, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if, that st if it stands alone, who is against us? Plenty. I mean, I mean, just read the paper, talk to your friends who are outside of Christ, go on social media. There are lots of people, individuals, worldviews that stand against us. Always. But if God is for us, the if is a since or because. Because God is for us, since God is for us, who can really be against us? It's, it's a word of assurance about our security in Jesus Christ. So, so in spite of all that's opposing us. Now this takes time for this good news to grip our hearts. Uh, I have a, an acquaintance who has had one cochlear implant and is in the process of getting a second one in the other ear after the first botch one on that side. And when I was talking to him about it, the experience of it, he says, you know, I can understand about 35 to 40% of the words that people speak to me. 
but they say it's going to keep improving. When you come to Jesus Christ, if you're new in faith, know that it takes a while to let your ears what the Lord wants you to hear and to fully embrace what this truth means, that we can, we, there are no opponents that can be effective in bringing us down. How is this possible? Because we have a provider for life. We have a provider for life. Now, you may feel defeated some days. We all go through that. But evil ultimately will not prevail when we stay near the heart of God. If God is for me, who can be against me? Often it appears that the enemy wins. The church faces all kinds of opposition today. But, you know, don't be naive. The church has faced opposition for 2,000 years. There have always been people, individuals, groups trying to suffocate the church. But God has assured us that the church is not going to be taken out. And so we stand fully engaged in the spirit of God. Paul asks in response to this with a rhetorical question. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. Whether we understood it or not, our greatest problem is sin and rebellion against our creator. There's nothing that is worse than that when you stand, when I stand opposed to my creator. God took care of that. Through Jesus Christ, right? He descended. He was here for us. He died for us. He was, a, he was this one who provided for us a life that is full and abundant. If he took care of that, do, does, do you think he's going to leave you stranded and all of the other attacks that come against you, your struggles in life? It's like being able to buy a Ferrari and it stays parked in your garage because you can't afford gas to put in it. It's sort of a ridiculous thing. If you can afford the car, you can afford to maintain it and run it. It all comes together. So it is in Jesus Christ. Second, our condemners are incompetent. Our condemners are incompetent. Jesus did not come to condemn. Hear that well. Jesus did not come to condemn, but to save. Now, those of you on social media, watch out for writing condemning language. We, we invite enemies to attack us by speaking condemning language on social media. Friends, the world does not need more condemnation. Would you agree? The, war, the, the, the world stands condemned already. Expect them to criticize the church and Christians. Expect to be attacked to expect to be undermined and mocked and made fun of and accused. That, that's, that's, what, that's what the evil one is all about. They're not attacking you. They're attacking God and his message. If you're going to get engaged that way, you make sure that you communicate words of grace and mercy and truth and love on behalf of Jesus Christ. All right? Do that. Do that, please. And we, we make a mockery of the gospel by our behavior, even in written word on the page. So verse 23, 33 says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. In other words, who would dare bring any charge against us? It's a courtroom setting. And we've, been, we've pounded this word over and again in the summer because we have a hard time getting our heads around it. It's this justified. We've been declared not guilty even though we are guilty. We've been declared innocent even though we're guilty. 
We know our sin. We know how we have failed God in the past. We know in this body of sin, this flesh and blood body, that we still struggle with temptation and sin. But we have one who has declared us righteous because of the blood of, uh, of his son, Jesus Christ. Satan's very name means accuser. That's what Satan does. He brings up your past. He keeps hammering out at you what you've done wrong. You think you're a child. You think God really loves you. You've got to be joking. The way you live this week, think about it. I mean, constant accusing. We, we vacation at Lakeside, Ohio every summer. It's our little paradise on earth. Lakeside's not very big. It's about seven streets from Lake Erie. Uh, lay horizontally about 12 streets perpendicular. So uh, we're there with different family people every year. This week, this year, Chelsea, our youngest and her family were there for them and Diana and I. And it was one morning, we hopped on our golf cart and we puttered down to the lake. It was early, not too many people around. I went through every stop sign down to the lake. <laughs> I felt pretty cool about it too. <laughs> and you know, I got to the lake, somebody had watched me the whole way. And I was kindly, but very firmly and sternly corrected. And all I knew to do was say, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, you know. And basically, my family made fun of me the rest of the week. They were my accusers the rest of the week. I was guilty of civil disobedience, which is a law against God, right? And you know, Jesus Christ even died for that sin. We laugh at that sin because it seems small and insufficient, when in fact, before the throne of God, it's an unholy thing to do, right? It just is. Now, I've got a whole list of other sins. I'm not going to tell you about because it's none of your business with all that is. <laughs> but, yeah, and you do too. And we struggle. We struggle with temptation and sin. And what happens so often when we fail God, we think somehow now he's against me. Now, now Satan has, 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 a, has his way with me, and his word is true. We still claim the blood of Christ. That's why every day we find ourselves before the throne of God pleading for his mercy and grace. Isn't that right? That's what we do, and it's always available. How can this be possible? Because we have a sacrifice for sin. That's who Jesus is. Verse 34 says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. There's Jesus. He died. He was raised. He was exalted to God's right hand. And now, present tense, he is interceding for us. That's what his ministry is right now before the throne of God. He is interceding for you if you are in Jesus Christ. That's the promise for God's elect. Now, let me just say a few words about God's elect. Last week, Luke touched on it when he talked about this word predestination. Closely associated with it is this word elect. There is a theology that is very popular among many churches, probably most churches, called Calvinism. It comes out of the teaching of John Calvin from the 1500s where, that, that says God has elected who he will save and who he will not save. It's that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for certain people, and those he has elected to save find his grace absolutely irresistible. And those are numbered among the elect. Uh, friends, I am not a Calvinist. We do not teach that way in Calvinist theology because we believe strongly when God created us, he made us with free will. And we can do what we would like to do with, with the message of the gospel. 
Granted, uh, in Calvinist theology, there are a couple of verses and more than a couple that you have to work with, but there is an answer to those things. For instance, Acts 13, 48 says, when the Gentiles heard this, they, that is the message, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all were, who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now, see, if you're a Calvinist and you're going to translate that verse, you want it to agree with your Calvinist theology. But a better translation is this, as many as turned themselves toward eternal life believed. You see the difference? It's very subtle. But if you look at that statement, they heard the gospel, they started responding. They turned themselves toward eternal life and led them to full belief and acceptance in Jesus Christ. It's a huge difference. Jesus said in John 5, 21, the son also gives life to whom he wishes. The Bible makes it clear that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He wants everybody to be saved. Now, based on that, God's love is unconditional, meaning he is not a respecter of persons. He does not show favoritism when he is, he is reaching people, when he is pursuing people. That's why he's called the hound of heaven. He's always hunting people down. So his love is unconditional, but his salvation is very conditional. There are certain conditions we meet to be saved. One is we have to have faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, right? We have to believe that. We have to choose to believe that. Faith is not a gift from God. We are created with the capacity to believe. But we have to choose what to do with the evidence of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're saved by faith. Confession is essential. I have to. Jesus said, the ones who confess me before others, I will confess before my Father in heaven. We have to repent. We have to turn away from the life we lived when we were running our own lives to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible commands us to be baptized into Jesus Christ. We are buried in Christ in baptism under the water. We are resurrected to live a new life. Those are the conditions, the gospel conditions to receiving fully the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So his love is unconditional, and that's why we will not be selective in who we love. That his salvation is, and we want to stand and speak where the Bible speaks and represent the gospel well. And so, Jesus himself even said in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. And many, many, many people are unwilling to receive the message of God's love. God in his foreknowledge knew your decision for Christ. And because of that, he is involved in your security until you stand before him on that day of judgment. So cling tightly to this understanding. Be established firmly in your faith, all because of Christ's sacrifice. And third, our obstacles are inept. The love of God is mentioned three times in verses 35, 37, and 39. This grand question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us from... Nothing, of course. The answer is, is, is suggested in the question. Of course, nothing and no one. And it's not about our love for Christ. This is about Christ's love for us. Now, if I'm saved based on my love for Christ, the way I get love, mercy. I'll be in and out of salvation all the time. 
But this is not about my love for Christ. There are some days, like you, I assume, where you're, the, the cup of your love for Christ overflows, you know? You know what that is, that you can't be more thankful. You feel you are just full of Christ, the Holy Spirit working in you. Other days, not so much. I have days like that. I rush into the day without spending much time with the Lord. I, 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 I forget to pray enough through all the events of the day. I get busy, and I forget to sense his presence and seek him even throughout the day. You've been there. Your heart's not necessarily overflowing for God. Does that mean uh, God doesn't love you as much today as he did yesterday when your heart was overflowing? No, nothing's changed about what I believe. And thankfully, though, it's not based on the level of the hotness, the heat of my love that day, but on the heat of his love for me. I mean, some days, my wife, Diana, I mean, she is the luckiest woman in the world. Other days, not so much. She probably would rather she married her old boyfriend, Claude, you know, that day. You know. uh, but, but, but thankfully, thankfully, you know, our marriages, if you're here for Andrew Peterson's concert, he talked about that, that, that going through, you get married and you walk through the minefields, you know, and it's the promise you made on your wedding day that keeps you bound together, right? That's how it is in Jesus Christ, you know? We, we start going through these minefields of life and all kinds of stuff happening to us and all kinds of responses to us. But there is God, always secure, always making us secure. How? We have a defender of our threats. We have a defender of our threats, and there are plenty of them in life. Thankfully, our, our salvation is rooted again in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the fact of his always interceding for us. Yet the evil one will always use his tools to somehow destroy our relationship with God. So Paul mentions seven things here. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or peril, sword. He experienced fully the first six of those, and the seventh of one he would eventually. And we could expect them as well. You have a toolbox at home. Those tools are there to repair, to fix, to build up, to bind, to glue, whatever. Satan will let them use those same kind of tools for destruction, just like you can use those tools in your toolbox to tear down and destroy and to maim and to scar and splinter, whatever. Same tools God wants to use for your good, God, the evil one, wants to use to destroy you, as Luke so well preached last week out of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But he says... For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Did you come in feeling like a conqueror today? Or did you feel like, like you're on the losing team? You know, you can have days like that. That's why we need this truth that in Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. And this, this, uh, this word is so interesting. Paul coins this word in the Greek, hypernikao. Hypernikao is this phrase, overwhelmingly conquer. Hypernikao. Hyper, it means above. Nikao means conquer. Nikao. Nike is the root. Nike. Anybody got your Nikes on today? Who's wearing Nikes today? A few of you? All right. Whenever you look at that swoosh, it means conquer. And so we all have on our shoes a kind of a swoosh plus. You know, we, we overwhelmingly conquer. We conquer above. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a funny metaphor. We're conquering sheep. <laughs> Not very much conquering about a sheep, what do you think? 
They're helpless. They fall over when they're heavy with wool. They can't get up. They're stupid. They wander. Uh, well, that's you and me, you know. But he says we can be conquering sheep, conquering sheep. Why? Because we have been so loved. He says, I'm convinced. I stake my life on this. Paul's saying, I'm staking my life on this. Neither death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Time can't separate you. From birth to death, time cannot separate you. Whatever the times of your life look like, the seasons of your life look like, experiences in life cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And there are a lot of them. He calls it the present and the future. Some of you today are facing just overwhelming challenges. Whatever those are, whatever is yet to come, you don't know anything about. Those experiences can't separate you from Christ's love for you. Location, height, depth. As high as you may go, as low as you may go, whether you're speaking physically, geographically, or emotionally. Doesn't matter. Spiritual forces like angels and demons and powers and principalities. All kinds of things come at us and attack us in this dark world. We're in a spiritual battle. You can't be separated from Christ's love because of those realities. He says all things in all creation, including people. And there are people that would like to draw you away from the love of Christ. There's only two categories, the creator and everything else. And we're included in the everything else. That's why people come there as well. All this answers the question, can I lose God? No, we can't. When you are rooted in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose God. But the other significant question is, can God lose me? And my brothers and sisters, yes. Because he made us creatures of free will. And I have known dear people in the faith who have walked away from the grace of God. There are many who say, well, you could never walk away. Oh, yeah. You know, as, 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 you know, I can't imagine myself ever not being with my wife, Diana. Let's say one day I, don't, I stop caring for my marriage. And I turn inward. I fail in our marriage commitment. She's determined to be a holy wife and a godly wife and does everything she can to hold us together. I still have free will to walk away. Nothing about her. But it's all about me. So it is in our relationship with Christ. As far as he's concerned, he's in. We're the variable. And that's why every day we got to keep coming. God, I never, I never, ever, ever want to come to a day where you lose me. I'm in forever. And so Peter warns us, if you've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow is washed, that is washed, returns to wallowing in the mud. Don't toy with God's salvation. So these two things, keep in mind. Keep living according to Romans 8. Keep living in the Holy Spirit of God. Keep welcoming him into your life. Keep allowing him to groan for you. Keep, keep praying in the spirit, Abba, Father, for the strength that he supplies. And number key two, keep loving. Keep loving according to Romans 8. What I mean by that, we have been so loved. And it's an undeserved love, right? There's no sensible reason why God should love us so except that we were made in the image, his own image. Now, when we leave here, let's love other people in the same way. Unconditionally, let's love people to new life in Jesus Christ. Just doing those two things, living 
according to Romans 8, and loving according to Romans 8, will make us more than conquerors. The chapter begins, no condemnation, it closes, no separation. Let's live between those two realities for the glory of God. Let's stand together.